Mark chapter 6. Briefly, briefly if I may, I want to minister a message entitled, Things Are Looking Up. Things Are Looking Up. Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when the evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. He saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up into the he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered. I think that's a good situation where you can say things are looking up. If Jesus gets on the boat, that's a good thing. All of us have had what we might call a bad day. Some of us have probably infrequently even had a bad week. One or two of you may even be able to recall a bad year. But I think all of us have had those occasions that we could call a bad moment. That's one of those periods of time where you lose your temper and wish you could have gotten back a few words you said. It's one of those occasions where it's very important for you to get from point A to point B, but in between the tire goes flat or a unexpected, unexpected cost arises or something like that where you have to deal with the kid that ends up in the hospital or you end up in the hospital. I want you to see from this short narrative how that sometimes the bad moments that we incur are not because of anything we've done wrong but simply by walking in obedience to God. Just because you have a bad moment that doesn't mean God can turn it around he can't turn it around, but but the thing is this, it's only a bad moment if you interpreted the circumstances as being greater and bigger than your God. So even what many people call a bad moment, still relative to how you want to interpret it. Somebody might hear from the doctor that you have such and such problem in your body, but here is what we can do to help you. Now we can take that information and we can go into depression and be sad or we can begin to praise God. At least there was a way to diagnose it. Then we can look to the physician. Somebody can lose their job and have all kinds of problems with their income. We can take that and become angry with our former employer or we can begin to look to God to be the supplier of our needs. It's all about how we interpret this. This chapter tells us in the beginning about John the Baptist and how he died. John the Baptist was a herald of the Lord Jesus Christ. He announced that he was coming. And he died a terrible death because of jealousy, anger. Herod's wife despised him because he 
said that their marriage was unlawful. Can you imagine? This woman had a daughter that came and danced at a party and danced so well that the king said, you are doing such a good job that I will give you up to half of the kingdom if you tell me what you desire. She, st- she spoke with her mother and her mother said, tell your, tell, tell your dad that you want the head of John the Baptist on the platter. That's exactly what she did. John the Baptist, of course, was locked away because of his preaching. It was too raw. It was too convicting. And in the end, they brought that man's head in a charger, just brought it right up there to the king, took the top off, and he saw it. The Bible says when the word got back to Jesus and his disciples, they kind of went into a little time of mourning and the disciples went and begged for the body of John the Baptist to give him a proper burial. And then after all of that, Jesus and his disciples retreated in order for him to just teach them and minister to them. After a short season, he got on the boat. Hundreds of people recognized that he was getting on the boat, going to the other side of the sea. And they all followed him, some getting in ships, some running around the sides of the sea. And thousands of people came and spent one whole day listening to him teach. That's the power and the magnetic appeal of this man who could heal babies, heal cripples, raise the dead. And when the day was practically done, evening is coming on, Jesus and the disciples have to figure out what to do with all of these people who don't want to leave. And he miraculously feeds them with some miracle loaves of bread and some fishes. And somewhere in all of that, the scripture says in verse 43, the blessing was so great that they even took up 12 baskets full of fragments. 5,000 people ate and enjoyed that miracle. Now, of course, that would be a time of happiness and excitement. If, if, if you ever find yourself caught up in something miraculous and you see something supernatural like this taking place, the one thing you don't want to do is leave. That's what Jesus said to them. Jesus said in verse 45, he, he compelled his dis- disciples. He implored them, get on the ship and go to the other side. Now, having just fed 5,000 people and had your hands on, on loaves of bread that were miraculously created and multiplied by the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you have wanted to get on the ship? I doubt it. You probably would have wanted to stay in the presence of the Lord and enjoy him. But he said to them, look, the revival is over. Get on the ship, head to the other side. And in verse 46, after he, excuse me, verse 45, when he sent them away, then he began to work on the people. He didn't even let the disciples do that. Jesus acted as his own usher. Imagine a pastor doing that, shaking hands with all of these people. I've preached for pastors who, once they're done ministering the word of God, the security guards usher them out the back door as fast as possible to keep them from having to come into contact with you common church people. We don't want to be defiled, you know. 
Or they'll say, say, well, we've got to protect the man of God so that he, he, he doesn't get distracted by what somebody might say. Somebody might yell at him or somebody might cuss at him or something like that. But these things happen to Jesus all the time, and yet he still ministered powerfully. He stood then, sent the people away. It's nice when the shepherd has that kind of contact with the people to whom he's ministering. But after the people had departed, according to verse 46, he climbed the mountain and began to spend time with God. Because having poured himself out to the people, he, he needs now to be replenished. Whatever kind of employment that you have, whatever you do in retirement, the one thing I am certain of is you do need to find a place to pray. Just you and God. Whether it's out on in a field, out in a valley, up on a hilltop, on a bluff or something like that. You walking through a park. There needs to be a place and a time where it's just you and God and you pour your heart out to him and you talk to him. That's prayer. And of course, when you pray, you believe. The Bible says you receive when you pray believing. But even if you can't find a mountain to pray, you can find a basement. You can find a kitchen. You can find a backyard. You can pray in your car. Plenty of times my wife and I have taken long trips and gotten in that vehicle and just spent time praying as we were driving. Praying for people. Sometimes praying in the Holy Ghost. Just asking God to minister, to be with people, to help people. I'm convinced that a lot of people don't talk to God because they don't enjoy God. It's like being married to somebody that you don't enjoy. A few weeks ago, my wife and I drove back to Cleveland. We drove 17 hours straight through right after the Sunday morning service. And, and I've had people ask me this before. They'll say something like, well, 17 hours. Oh, my goodness. I just, I just couldn't do that. I mean, what, 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 what do you do for 17 hours in the car? Well, we talk. We got in the car and started driving. Went the first seven hours, never had to turn the radio on or listen to any kind of cassette tape or CD or anything. The whole time we were just conversing. Usually what that means is I'm listening. But she enjoys me and I enjoy her. So that is how it is in our relationship with God. If you enjoy God, you will enjoy talking to God. Nothing shows your dependence upon God like Prayer, nothing shows your independence from God like a lack of prayer. You can say you're a Christian and not pray, but it's important to pray. Your life through your speech, your Christian life, you can say that you love the Lord, but with your, with the way that you conduct yourself, you can be an atheist. Say with your lips you love God, but everything about your life says you don't want to have anything to do with Him. Prayer is to the believer what breathing is to the human. You need to have a relationship with God. Start the day early like that. Conclude the day. Whatever works for you. The Bible says in Mark chapter 3, Jesus prayed early in the morning. The Bible says in John, Luke chapter 6, Jesus prayed late into the night. We should all have a time, a disciplined time frame, where we pray. 
So the disciples in obedience to the Lord, they climbed on the ship and the verse said that evening came in verse 47 and the ship was in the midst of the sea. Now the Sea of Galilee is approximately 10 miles across, whether you go east. Uh, that'd be north to south, about 10 miles across. And if you're midway in that lake, you're about four or five miles out there. And the Bible says Jesus was alone on the land, but even though he was alone on the land, he wasn't alone without God. You can be in a place all by yourself and still not be without God. You can be alone and not be alone at the same time because the presence of God can be real in your life. And so the scripture then tells us from the land, he looks out there into the midst of the sea and he sees them toiling. How can that be? How in the world could a man stand on the seashore and during a dark night look out into the sea? See folks out there. Has to be by the help, by the power of Almighty God, because we know that a storm is going to descend and Jesus himself is able to see what's going on in their circumstance. So that tells me he's got his eyes on you as well as on me. What are you passing through that you don't believe God can see? Nothing, nothing at all. He sees how you're working He sees how you're doing everything you can to try to get that boat to move forward. He sees all the exertion that's involved with that, how it's it's wearing you out and you're becoming tired. But yet Jesus still is watching you, not because he doesn't care. He has an objective. He's going to come. He's going to appear. He's going to minister to you at the right time. But there are some points we have to understand that we need adverse winds in order to build our muscles. You'll never know that you have faith until you have to deal with doubts and unbelief. When when little toddlers begin learning to walk, when they fall down, mom and dad don't pick the toddler up and then carry the toddler around for the rest of his or her life so that they never fall again. You know what mom and dad do? They let the toddler fall down, help them stand back up, then help them waddle around a little bit more until they finally get their balance and they build up the muscles in their legs. And that's exactly what God does. He watches you as you are passing through a circumstance, never with a desire to see the end game end in a negative for you. But the objective is always to help you appreciate him when he does appear. The greater appreciation will be there. He saw them toiling. We've all been there. I've, I've met a lot of people who... Passed through difficulties that were out of their control, not out of God's control. Yeah. I've had to sit down with young men that have, have lost their jobs and they look me in the face and say, I, I just don't know how, how am I going to take care of my family? I have bills. God has to open a door for me. God sees them as they're toiling, as they're laying there in bed in the middle of the night and they're trying to figure out exactly what they're going to do to be able to get some kind of income. And while you're rowing and toiling, God is still working behind the scenes, even though you only acknowledge the presence of the storm. 
because that's all we see in the midst of the storm. We can barely hear somebody else. We can hardly see objects clearly. We're, we're very often intimidated by the sound of the storm and its imposing figure upon us. And we're wondering how are we ever going to get out of this? And the scripture goes on to tell us that this was in the fourth watch of the night. We're talking somewhere after 3 a.m. Most people are sleeping. Jesus must have been praying a long time and ministering a long time. And the disciples must have been having a very difficult time out there in the middle of that sea. But the scripture says he came walking upon the sea. He could have gone anywhere, but he came to where they were. He could have ministered to anybody, but he comes to you. There are a lot of people in this world that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ one time. Nevertheless, you've heard it and said it and mentioned it and whispered it tonight more times than some people ever will say it in the entirety of their lives. Now, let's return to what I said in the beginning. There are some times where we have bad moments that have to do with us obeying God. It was the Lord that said to them, get in the ship and go to the other side. It wasn't the idea that came to them on their own. But yet in obedience to the Lord, they find themselves facing contrary winds. And the one that walks with God has to be willing to deal with these kind of confrontations. God puts it on your heart to do something. Expect the adversary to produce some kind of contrary wind. The moment you decide that you want to discipline yourself and start spending time with God in prayer, I can promise you right about the time when you say, I want to get up to pray, the devil's going to try to make you sleepier than you've ever been in your life. You say something like, well, I'm going to make sure that at night I try to spend at least, oh, let's let's say five to ten minutes reading a few verses of scripture and just meditate on those verses before I go to sleep. As soon as you grab your Bible, you, you'll be out because the adversary will look for ways to create adversity in your life, strong winds to push against you. But always remember, God's got your back. And God works the night shift. So it doesn't matter how bad it is. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. When you're laying awake at night trying to figure out how is this going to work out. And I don't know how this is going to happen. And Lord, what are you going to do about my grandkids? And what are you going to do about my children and my friends? And I don't know what we're going to do about this and my property. Who is it going to go to? How is it going to work out? God has all of that under control. You don't have to be nervous about it at all. So the Bible says he came walking Upon the sea. So he walks upon the waters in your storm. But it says he would have passed them by, not as though he didn't know where they were at, because the scripture already told us in verse 48 in the first sentence, he saw them from a distance. But remember, it's only in verse 49 that they're able to see him when he gets up close. See the difference in the depth perception? God can see afar off. But we have a difficulty uh, unless it's something that's right in our vicinity. So here's the scripture. When they saw him, they thought, oh, my goodness. There's a ghost out here in the middle of this storm. How bad is that? How'd you like that? How'd you like to be in a storm? Everything's going wrong. Then you look up and, and you, you think there's something out there that's haunting you or something that's terrifying you. And you're suddenly afraid. 
And the Bible even says in verse 49, supposing it to be a spirit, they cried out. Now, I know that out here they do not have haunted houses. I know that. <clears throat> but when I was a kid, my dad used to work for a PAL, the Police Athletic League. And so every October, right about the 20th, the Police Athletic League got a big, huge mansion, about maybe 10 blocks from my house, moving out towards the suburbs. And then they transformed it into a haunted house. And then the policemen would dress up in all of these different costumes. And then the little kids from the community would then pay the little money with their parents. And then the parents would stand on the outside. Then, of course, then the kids would go through the haunted house. And, you know, the joy of the adults' lives was just to terrify those little kids when they were walking around those little dark hallways. And so here we're stumbling around. And then out jump somebody and they say boo or they're making all kind of sounds or they're bright flashes. There's a lot of screaming going on. That's what I'm getting at. A lot of screaming. Now, I knew and, and everybody knew that those weren't ghosts, but it's just the shock and surprise that gets your attention. So imagine being in the midst of this kind of a storm and then looking up and seeing an apparition out there on top of the water. That's why they were surprised. Now, that's one of the the miracles of the Lord in that we often misinterpret what he's doing. It's possible to misinterpret what God is doing. He he could be moving in your life and you think it's the devil. See? God could be trying to do something with you. He could be trying to minister to you and encourage you. And you mistake him as somebody else. God wants you to get your eyes fixed on him. Your storm can obscure your vision sometimes, but clarity eventually will come because immediately he talked with him. And when they heard his voice, he said, be of good cheer. Be encouraged. No need to be sad. And there are a lot of people like that. When they hear the voice of somebody with whom they're familiar, then, of course, everything changes. You know, you walk into a home as a as a as a kid and nobody's there or you're in an unfamiliar surrounding like in a mall or at a game. You get disconnected from your family. You see a lot of people. You hear a lot of voices. But then amid the crowd, you hear somebody calling your name. Then all of a sudden everything changes because you realize Here's somebody that I know. The Bible says, immediately he talked with him and said, be of good cheer. Now this is what we need from the king, a calming word from the Lord in the midst of our storm that speaks to us and tell us not to be afraid because we typically are fearful when we're in a storm. How is this going to work out, God? Well, it'll work out. It will. Every year, I pretty much go through the same scenario with farmers over and over again. You know, yeah. Come springtime, it's time to plant. Folks are nervous. Everybody's complaining they're behind. How are we ever going to get everything in the ground? The weather's not cooperating. Then eventually, you know what happens? Everybody gets everything in the ground. 
And then once folks get everything in the ground, then pretty soon the weather still isn't cooperating because now we need a little bit of rain. And so now you can see people wandering around in the little coffee shops and, and they're in Casey's or they're in the restaurants and they're sitting with their friends and everybody's kind of complaining. I'm telling you, corn's looking bad. This is terrible. It is how we ever going to work out. Can't make any money out of this. Then somehow or another, God still brings in a harvest. Every year, the scenario is the same, but it's also the same in your life. In your life. You look at the things that God has done for you, the doors that he has opened for you. Come Christmas time, people are saying, I need this amount of money in order to be able to be a blessing to the people in my family and the people that I know. How are we ever going to do this and then God comes through and God blesses and then by the time we get to the end of the next year then a family is right back there saying how in the world is God ever going to open the doors and supply our needs to help us over and over again we find that we need that calming voice from the Lord that says be encouraged be of good cheer you do not need to be afraid and the reason you don't need to be afraid is because of the presence of the Lord it's real So he gets up into the ship and the wind ceases. Now, it really doesn't matter whether the wind ceases or not, so long as you have the Lord in the boat with you. I don't care how bad the storm is. If Jesus is with you, I can promise you the boat's not going down. Remember the story where Jesus said to the disciples, he said, let's get on the ship. Let's pass over to the other side. And when they got on the boat, it got so terrible. The storm was out there and and Jesus went down there and took a nap. And so the disciples were up there with buckets trying to get all the water out of the ship. And I mean, they're doing everything they can. Jesus is down there sleeping, having a wonderful time. And, and finally somebody had the great idea. Look, we've got Jesus on the boat. Why are we doing all of this? Let's go and wake him up and talk to him about it. Can you imagine 10, 11, 12 disciples, however many of them went downstairs, they're soaking wet, their hair is stuck to their face, beards are dripping with water, Jesus is in a dead sleep, and when you wake up, all you hear are the sounds of grown men yelling at you, asking you, don't you care that we're dying? How'd you like to wake up 2 o'clock in the morning with some kids yelling at you? Or adults yelling at you? It could be better pastor could come into your house and sing to you in the morning. I've been known to do that if the doors are unlocked at the house. Ask the Brueggemans. Yeah. So Jesus wakes up. He goes to the top of the the ship, rebukes the wind. Peace comes. And I love the way he talks to the disciples, asking them, where is their faith? It obviously was not in the boat at that time. Peter, what did I say to you before we got on this ship? Well, Master, you said, let's pass over to the other side. Well, have I ever lied to you? No. Have I ever said anything to you that would lead you to believe that I need to take back what I said? No, sir. And Peter, it doesn't matter what this storm does out here. We're going to the other side. See, Don't ever let that storm intimidate you like that. If you have Jesus in your heart. You've got Jesus on the boat. If you've got Jesus on the boat, don't allow the storm 
to intimidate you. And as long as you know that, that Jesus is with you and you're with him, then it doesn't matter what things are looking like. People say, well, under these circumstances, I don't know if I'll be able to do it. If you got Christ, things are looking up. Yeah. Yeah. So let's stand on the word and watch as God does one miracle after another for each of us. And then when we get to the other side, we can all tell the story one more time about what he did. Every week, we should all have a testimony. If I ever were to say, is there anybody want to stand up and give a testimony to the glory of God? How wonderful he is. Every one of you ought to be fighting to stand on your feet and just say, Pastor, I've got something I have to say. God's been so good to us. You don't know where we came from. We started with nothing. But look how God has blessed me. I do that. I go everywhere and tell the story of how we came to Nebraska. I said, I came to Nebraska, I had nothing but a sea bag and me. That's all there was. I said, in my sea bag, I had a couple of suits. I had some casual clothes. I had a Bible and a hymn book. And oh, how good God has been to me in 20 years. God gives you a testimony, but he doesn't give you a testimony without the test. But it will give you a testimony. Let's stand. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, anybody in here ever been through a storm before? Anybody in here ever been through a storm? One, one or two of them maybe? Oh my. Even on the natural side, Tiff was reminding me earlier today about one time we were driving down to Hilton Sutton's uh, board meeting. I think it was in January, she said. And we got down near Wichita got stuck on the highway in the ice and somebody was kind enough to stop and help us. And of course, they they just about got stuck trying to stop and help us. And I'm sure when they drove away, they said, what kind of fools are these out here in this terrible weather uh, doing this? But we were trying to get down there to that, that meeting. But through the years, oh, I, I can't believe some of the storms I've had that little girl out here in trying to get to a church service or a prayer meeting something like that but through all of them God delivered us remember the the tornadoes they had over in Desler here years ago destroyed the south end of town over there well the night that happened we were on our way here to church and we made that turn by uh, that Nelson turn on 136 coming this way and we we got about maybe three or four miles heading down that road And I'm telling you, I'm driving and I see all these cars coming this way to the west. And I mean, they're moving. I mean, they look like they're doing 120, 130. And here I'm putting along just we headed we headed to church, you know, (laughs) we're going to church. And then uh, we looked and saw that 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 funnel cloud descend and it, it was coming down and it was just cloudy white color. Then it got close to the ground and then it starts sucking up that dirt. It turned brown. Well, I, I was fixated on that thing. I'd never seen one of those in person. It hit hit a grain bin, and the thing just exploded in a, a million pieces. And and I was just like I was hypnotized just looking at that. But then as I started coming back to reality, see, coming back to this world in the in the background, faintly I could hear this voice say, "Turn the car around. What is wrong with?" And of course, that's Tiffany. She's, she's bringing me back to reality. And so sure enough, we turn, turn the car around. So I say all that to say that there's no storm you're going through that God can't help you with. 
Nothing. He's a big God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you this evening that we could love you and fellowship with you and worship you. We know that there's no storm greater than your name. Whoever calls on that name can be saved and delivered. So, Father, we stand against every storm that is opposed to us this evening. We love you, we worship you, and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen.